Good morning, Servants Church. So glad for those of you who could come in person or here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Good to see everyone. Welcome everyone online. We're so glad that you could join us today. Stephen Pointing's bringing the word this morning. Looking forward to hearing from him. So he'll come up. Okay. I remember my, uh, my granddad telling me when I was a teenager, he said there are three things, you know, if you don't want to cause any controversy or upset anyone, there are three things you don't talk about, religion, money, and politics. So my aim is to talk about all three of those things today. <laughs> you still love me, that's great. Um, appreciate that. And it's not my fault, it's in the Bible. So the Bible, according to my granddad, is a bit controversial. It can bring up things that we'd rather it didn't bring up. And, uh, and I really wish that I hadn't been given this text today. I wish I'd been given something a bit more, not just easy, but you know, something happy that makes you feel really, really good inside. And there are those verses that I love, and maybe I'll drop a few in today's talk if I can. Um, but we are we're continuing our series through the Gospel of Luke today, and, uh, and we're entering uh, a passage called the, uh, that's often referred to as the Sermon on the Plain. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, I just want to talk about, uh, and it will make more sense if we talk about Luke's priority, one of Luke's priorities in the Gospel uh, of Luke that he wrote. Uh, he has a strange, it's not really strange, a, a priority for the poor. More so, I think, than you see in the other Gospels. He wants to show uh, that, he, that Jesus, when he came, cared for the poor. And, and so, uh, before we even, we're on Luke 6 today, but before that, in Luke 1, should be on your screen, uh, there's, uh, it, it, it talks, this is even before Jesus is born, and Mary is, is uh, singing, and she is uh, shouting or, or praising God, and she's saying, he has shown strength with his arm. It's talking about God. He has uh, scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. And also, again, before we get to Luke 6, which we're looking at today, but it says in Luke 4, uh, you know, sometimes this is called Jesus' inauguration. And when he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And you'd be right in saying, doesn't he give good news to the rich as well? But he does, but it's a bit, it's a bit more difficult than that. <laughs> and uh, he has a priority for the poor, which is what we're trying to emphasize. And so we want to look at that today. We want to look at what, why does he prioritize the poor and what does it say in Luke 6? It's going to help us understand what's going on here, what's going on in, uh, in Luke's mind, why he's recording and uh, emphasizing Jesus in this way. Okay, so let's get on to the actual passage we're looking at. Luke 6, verse 17 to 26. If you've got your Bibles open, that's where we're at today. I'll give you a second to find it if you've got a Bible on you. Um, okay, Luke 6, verse 17 to 26. And he came down, Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and, be, and to be healed of their diseases. 
and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. So not an easy passage. (laughs) So to start off, Jesus is coming down from the mountain. Remember last week, John talked about how um, they went up the mountain, they were praying, and out of all of his disciples, now don't just think 12 disciples, there were 100, well, we don't know how many, but there were lots could have been hundreds of disciples up on the mountain with Jesus. Imagine what I imagine is church camp. Really, I imagine a great time, uh, people all who love Jesus coming together, having a great time on this mountain. Uh, Maybe they were praising God. We know that they were praying. And Jesus selects 12 guys and says, you're going to be my apostles. But it's just been this great time. And it says that they were coming down from the mountain. And I think this is significant, actually, that they're coming down from the mountain. You can't always live life like you're on a mountain. You can't always live life like you're in that great place of praying and worshipping and, and, you know, you're just really happy because you're surrounded by all your friends and life's really uh, easy and you just feel close to God. And you come down from the mountain and suddenly they're met by people who have come to find them from all over uh, the region. And I feel like they're coming down to reality. We can't live always where we want to be but we have to come down from reality. Maybe, you're, you've, maybe you get away every morning and, and have some time to pray, and then you stop, maybe you put your Bible away, and you realise, I've got to start my day now. I've got to face reality. And, uh, and so the reality of being a disciple of Jesus is that we will have people coming towards us from different angles, wanting things for us. Because as it says elsewhere in, in the Bible, in, in the Gospels, it says that we are the light of the world, so people will be drawn to us. And people will say, well, you're, you know, they might say to you that you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, and they're going to have expectations on you. And we have to face up to these expectations. We can't hide away. We can't hide away. And so Jesus, you know, Jesus deals with these expectations. He obviously deals with it brilliantly, being who he is. And uh, there are three things that people are coming to him for. And it's worth noting what these three things are. That people have come to him because they want to hear teaching. They want to hear authoritative teaching. They want to know what life is about. They want to know the things of God. Now, and they're also, they're sick, they're diseased. They want healing. They want restoration. And uh, they come with evil spirits. Uh, They come tormented inside. They come with struggles that they need deliverance from. And obviously we see Jesus dealing with these things. He heals everyone and the evil spirits go from them all. And as we're going to go on to in a minute, he then teaches. So, they've seen Jesus. Jesus has been doing this. 
Jesus has been healing. People are coming to him. He's met the demands of the people. And so we're thinking, okay, well, the disciples are obviously following after Jesus. The disciples, not just the apostles, but all of the people, they're trying to figure out, okay, how does he do this? What does it mean to follow Jesus? We, we come down from the mountain with him. We're ready to face the world. What's it going to be like? Are we going to become uh, very prosperous? Are we going to become the center of a, a movement? Or, or what, what's it going to look like? And he gets up uh, and he looks at them. And that's really keen that he's looking at his disciples. He looks directly at his disciples. This isn't talking to all the people who have come needing things. It's looking at his disciples. And if you're a believer in Jesus today and you're here, uh, we're disciples of Jesus. Disciple means learner. We're learners of Jesus. We want to know how to live, how to be like him. And he says something that maybe you wouldn't expect. Blessed are the poor. I wouldn't expect him to say blessed are the poor. I'd probably expect him to say blessed are the rich. Now, maybe you've been a Christian long enough to think, oh, no, I know this is blessed are the poor. But does that, does that really make sense? Is this how you live your life currently? Do you look at those who are rich and think, oh, woe to you? You know, you rich YouTubers in your hot tubs. <laughs> Jesus would say, woe to you. Ah, oh, I'm going to watch that. Ah, oh, don't you love that YouTuber, that beggar on the street? Oh, I love, love watching how he struggles for money every day. Ah. Oh. Good stuff. Blessed is he. No, we, we don't. We don't think naturally. We don't think blessed are the poor, and we don't think woe to those who are rich. So it can't mean that, right? can't mean that. It doesn't fit naturally, so it can't mean that. We'll have to figure out what it means. Maybe if I look at Matthew, it will say something different. And this is where we think about the emphasis. Now, Matthew says, has a similar sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, and there are similarities um, he says, blessed in Matthew 5, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And then uh, later on it says, um, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And he sort of, so Matthew, uh, my conviction, and, and as I've looked at this actually, is that Luke was doing a separate, um, Jesus did a separate sermon that Luke records for us here in Luke 6, and Matthew does a separate sermon uh, that is recorded as the Sermon on the Mount. So I think these are two separate sermons. So one time Jesus taught, blessed uh, are the poor in spirit. And another time he recorded, blessed are the poor. Uh, Jesus preached, blessed are the poor. And so we look, we don't think, oh, we're going to try and merge them. We think, what's Luke trying to teach us? Why has Luke recorded this sermon with blessed are the poor? And when we study Matthew, which you can go online, and John's taught through Matthew before, when we go back to Matthew, you can look and say, okay, what did Matthew want us to know about blessed are the poor in spirit? But today we're looking not at blessed are the poor in spirit, but blessed are the poor. Okay, so let's keep moving on. What does blessed mean? Well, we all know what that means, right? What does blessed mean? The better word, uh, another word for blessed would be happy or fortunate. And don't think, I bless you, Rory. Bless you in Jesus' name. That's a different word in the Greek. That is not the same word. Now, if I said, Rory is blessed, then that might mean something different. If I said, uh, Brooke is blessed to be in the Brown family, that is better from me going up to saying, Brooke, I bless you with a family. <laughs> what? They mean different things. Being blessed here is a state. 
It's a, it's a being. I am fortunate because I am poor. I've not been blessed. It's not like a gift. I've not been given it. It is what I am. I am blessed because I am poor. So, right, that doesn't really help. What does woe mean? That's, I, I mean, I use that word every day. I don't know about you. I constantly say, ah, oh, oh, woe is me. Oh, I'm always like that. Um, but no, it means a sort of grief. Um, it's like if you saw your friend making a bad decision, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm sad that that's happening. I'm grieving for the fact that that's happened. And so here we have woe, sorry, we have blessed, fortunate, happy, and, uh, and woe, a, a kind of a grief. So we want to know what does, what does Luke think about poor and riches. Oh, I haven't really explained. Actually, let me just explain one thing. There are, in Luke uh, 6, verses 20 to 26, you'll see that there are four states of blessing, or four blessednesses. <laughs> right, that's a word. Um, there's poor, there's hungry, there's weeping, and there's hated. And then you have the four opposites. Woe is the rich, those who are full now, and those who laugh, and those who are spoken well of. And so he's paralleling these four things. And so as I'm going to go through it, I'm going to talk about them at the same time. I'm going to talk about poor and riches. I'm going to talk about uh, um, hunger and being full. I'm going to talk about laughing, sorry, weeping and laughing. And I'm going to talk about being hated and being liked, uh, uh, being thought well of by people. So we're going to look at these together. And so hopefully on the screen, we're going to look at poor and riches now. And in Luke 18, verse 22 to 25, we need to understand how Luke sees being poor and how he sees being, riches, uh, being rich. Okay, so it says here in Luke 18, when Jesus heard this, he said to them, oh yeah, so I'll just give you some context. This is the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler came. The rich young ruler came and he said, what, what, what do I have to do to get eternal life? And uh, he said, well, obey, Jesus said, obey the commandments. And he lists, he says, I've done that. And then Jesus says, okay, here we go. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And when he heard this, he became very sad. This is the rich ruler. He became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Wow, that's hard. Let's look at the next one. And literally, so this is the, that was the end of Luke 18. And then go straight into Luke 19 with this story of the tax collector. Not very nice tax collector. Uh, you may remember, he's a short man, Zacchaeus. And to see Jesus, he climbed this... What kind of tree was it? I can't remember. Sycamore tree. There's a song about that. Um, he climbs the sycamore tree to see Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm coming to your house to have dinner. He goes back to his house to have dinner. And it says here at the dinner... Uh, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. So we can see this parallel right at the, you know, between Luke 18 and Luke 19, that there is uh, a blessing for Zacchaeus as he gives. When he comes into contact with Jesus, it affects his finances, it affects the way he uses his money. And so, and in Luke 18, we see someone who cannot let Jesus into his personal finances. 
He cannot let Jesus speak into how he uses his money. And I think this is the danger of being rich. When we start to think, as disciples, remember this is talking to disciples, can we be a disciple and say, I follow Jesus with everything. I want to live the way Jesus lived. I want to follow after him. Oh, but Jesus, don't talk to me about my finances. No, I'm not going to pray to you, God, about how I should use my finances. What do you mean, give it all away, Jesus? That can't be from God. And we need to be challenged that, as far as I can see in the Gospel of Luke, whenever a rich person comes to Jesus, he challenges them on how they're using their money, calls them to generosity, calls them to change. In Luke 21, verses 1 to 4, Jesus recalls uh, all these riches, these rich people came to the temple and they were giving their offerings. And there was loads of money, I'm sure, being collected up. And... uh, But this widow comes, a very poor widow comes, and she gives much less than all of them, all of the rich people. And uh, Jesus says, for they all, he says that the the widow was blessed. And he says, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, the widow, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. And I think that's that's the kind of generosity I like, personally. I like it when when I've got these excesses, and I've got some extra savings, or I've, I've made too much food, I can give away. I can give away what I've got as excess of the abundance that I have. And uh, I remember when I was 17 and 18, I had a friend who wanted to be very rich. And when I used to ask him about, oh, OK, so you're going to go to Oxford or something and be really rich. And he says, yeah, but when I'm really rich, I'll be able to give a lot away. And that seemed to me very wise. But it's interesting that it's out of the abundance that we naturally we want to give not out of our poverty, like this widow did. So it says, blessed are the poor. I talked a lot about woe to the rich, haven't I? Blessed are the poor. And this word poor is closer to the word beggar. And it says, why why, why are they in a blessed state? Because theirs is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God belongs to them. What does that mean? What do you mean the the kingdom of God belongs to all of us, right? We're disciples. What does it mean? what, What do they have? What do they have access to by being poor? Well, they get to rely on the provision of God. They have have an opportunity to rely on him that he's going to provide for you. It says in, I think it's Luke chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer, and it says, give us this day our daily bread. Daily bread. We're not just praying for, for a wealthy income, but we're praying for our daily bread, daily relying on God for his provision, what he's going to give us. So there's an opportunity then, and when I've been uh, poorer than I have now, than I am now, and I've had to rely on God, I didn't know where I was going to have money in the next few months' time or whatever, and I've seen God come through. I remember, and I I keep quite a good check on my finances, but um, before Katie and I went to Canada, my wife Katie and I went to Canada to do some mission work years ago, um, we were trying to... um, you know, we weren't, no, we weren't trying. We, we, we managed to, so I wasn't planning on saying this, so I'm trying to remember now, um, that we were struggling. We were wondering how we could afford to go to Canada. That was it. We were wondering how we could afford to go to Canada. And, uh, and somehow, we managed to save a lot of money over about five or six months. And I went back through my finances, and I couldn't see it. I couldn't see why this had happened, why we'd suddenly stopped spending as much, or why suddenly we seemed to have more. 
And, uh, and that's one of many stories I can have of suddenly God providing in ways that I didn't expect. And I think there are people here, and I know there are people here, I'm not going to look at anyone in particular, who, um, who are worried about making decisions that they think are what God wants them to do, but they're worried about their finances. They're worried, oh, I can't do that for God because I need to maintain this quality of life that I have now. Uh, what would God, what's going to happen to my finances if I follow God in this way? If God is leading you in a certain way, he's going to provide for it. He's going to provide for it. And ask people who live this way, and they'll tell you stories of how God has provided. Another reason I think that he wants us to live this way, blessed are the poor, um, is, is thinking missionally minded, right? Remember that um, as believers in Jesus, as followers of Jesus, as disciples, we are on a mission to make Jesus known in the world. And uh, there's a verse that says um, in Matthew 10, verse 8, freely we received and freely we will give. We want to give what God has given us. We want it to pass through us. If we received blessing, we want to give it away. If we've received love, comfort, we want to give love and comfort away. But when we start to be rich and we start to rely on our own way of making money, our own way of being, then it, we don't quite give it away so freely. That's, yeah, that's my opinion. Maybe you do give it away really freely. But I feel like if it's freely given, if we know it's a gift, we give it away. And it says in Ephesians 2 verse 10, and I know it's talking about grace and it's talking about salvation in Ephesians 2 verse 10, but it talks about not boasting, not being able to boast and I think that's really important that actually when we're poor, we won't be boasting in our riches. I was half tempted to, to, turn, to find my worst clothes and wear my worst clothes today. And then I thought I'd be trying to make a statement too much, so then I just wore what I normally wear. We don't want to boast in our riches. We don't want to just, you know, be the kind of person that always has to wear the nicest thing, and boast with the way that we spend our money. Have you seen my new car? I haven't got a new car. Why do we, what do we want to boast in? We want to boast in Jesus. Jesus, who's given us, who has given us a life, who provides for us. I want to tell people about how God's provided for me this week, not about the new car I've got. And, who, and, and if... Uh, yeah, and that's our temptation. It's just, it is our temptation. All right, moving on. So, sorry, to summarize, you're blessed if you're poor because you get to rely on God. This is a good thing. If you feel poor today, you can rely on God. God is a provider. He will provide for you. There are stories throughout Scripture of God providing. This morning I was reading, I think it was 1 Kings 17, and it was about Elijah going out, uh, running away, and it says, uh, not sparrows, Ravens, thank you. Ravens brought him food. That's crazy. Birds never brought me food. <laughs> God can do that. And what a story. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor. Okay, moving on now. I spent a long time on blessed are the poor. Let's go on to blessed to the hungry. Okay. On the screen, it should say uh, Luke 9, verse 16, 17. 
And taking the five loaves and the two fish, this is the story of the feeding of the 5,000, taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd, and they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. Now, who are the type of people that, who are the type of people that go out to, I think, I always imagine it by a lake. I don't know if it says it's by a lake. I think it does say it's by a lake somewhere. Who, 5,000 people went out and they were so preoccupied with following Jesus that they didn't bring food. Have you ever said at the end of the day, oh, I've been so busy, I forgot to eat. I forgot to eat. I'm so busy, I forgot to eat today. Imagine being so preoccupied with Jesus and living for him that you forgot to eat. You forgot to bring food. You forgot to pack your lunch. But they don't need to worry. They were, hu- they were hungry, and Jesus provided, and he can provide, and he will provide, and there'll be plenty to spare. And it says, doesn't it? It says back in Luke 6, it says, uh, they were, um, blessed are those who are hungry, for they will be satisfied. It's the same word for satisfied here in, uh, in, in the feeding of the 5,000. They were satisfied, they were full, bread and fish, lovely. You will be full. There's hope and promise. But who, who wasn't there? Who wasn't at the feeding of the 5,000? Well, lots of people weren't, obviously weren't at the feeding of the 5,000. There were lots of people who weren't there, and I'm sure they were very full and full of food at home. I'm sure they were right next to their cupboards, full of food, but they hadn't gone out that day to hear Jesus speak because maybe they didn't want to pack a lunch, or maybe they didn't trust that he could provide it when they went there, so they just wanted to stay at home where they were nice and full and comfortable, and they didn't have to worry about their food. Woe to those who are full now, for they will be hungry. Another story that I keep umming and ahhing about saying, uh, and so because I wasn't going to say it, I haven't written it down, but it talks about the story. Uh, There's a story in Luke, and it talks about um, this man called Lazarus, a beggar uh, who lived outside, uh, who used to beg outside this rich man's house. And this beggar, I remember I read it this morning, and it, uh, the dogs used to come and lick these beggars' sores. I remember this word beggar is related to the word poor. So, and then it, it, it jumps to later, it jumps to this poor beggar who lived outside the rich man's house, and, and the rich man, they both died. And you've got Lazarus, it says, I think, with Abraham, essentially in, a, in some kind of heavenly state, and you've got the, uh, the rich man who never gave him food in desperate, in death in hell and, and it, it records the rich man calling up desperately asking for Lazarus to come and at least give him a drink uh, and so you see what happens you see that you had this poor man and you had this rich man and then in the end the rich man is desperate and the poor man is satisfied I think some of the time we can't think, we can't think that far ahead, can we? we? We really struggle to think that far ahead. We, we, I can see my situation right now, Stephen. You know, right now I need food. And I'm like, Trust God. He has you. Jesus has you. He is so good. The, bio, the stories in the Bible are true. Their principles are true. They are true for you if you are a disciple of Jesus. And you can read many books and you can ask many people who have seen this kind of work in their life. Right, let's move on to weeping or laughing. 
even harder, right? Laughing is such a good thing. I love to laugh. I've even tried to make you guys laugh a few times. Thank you, Jess. Um, so what does it mean? Weeping is better than... We, blessed are those who weep. When I'm weeping, I don't know if you wept this week, if you've cried this week, that you are blessed. You're in a state of blessing. You, in the, you know what I was talking about earlier. You're fortunate. So let's look. What, how, does, how does Luke think about... What does he think about weeping? Let's have a look. A story... A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. What else does it say about weeping? Luke 19, Jesus drew near and saw the city of Jerusalem. He wept over it. He wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. And Peter, when he realized that he had denied his Savior three times, he says he went out and he wept bitterly. This is how the word weeping is used in Luke. He describes struggling people, Jesus as struggling, because they hope for something different. The sinful woman didn't want to be sinful anymore. She wanted to change, and she knew that there was something in Jesus, something special about Jesus. Maybe he could provide some hope for me. Jesus saw the city of Jerusalem, and he wished it could be different. He... He prays that it would be different. And Peter, when he realizes what he's done, he just, he wishes it was different. We, we hope for change. We hope for change. When we weep, it's because we know things aren't the way that it should be. And we hope for change. And so weeping turns out to be a good thing. Hoping for change. Don't feel bad about weeping. I know people in here who weep sometimes, who cry sometimes. Don't Worry, don't, no, you, don't think it's wrong of you to cry because you're just recognizing that things should be better and you have hope that they will be. It says in Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I'm trying to get better at being the kind of person that would weep with those who weep. I don't just want to try and fix everyone's problems. I want to know the difficulties that people are going through and I want to try and hope with them that things can be better. So if weeping is hope for change, what's laughing? Uh, I should say on the screen, uh, there's a chap- Luke 8, 52 to 54. All, this is, this is sorry, context. Jesus is uh, being called to, um, to come and heal uh, a dying daughter, and he arrives, and it says that all were weeping and mourning for her because she'd already died. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. Why did they laugh at him? 
laughing at Jesus. Imagine that, scoffing, laughing at Jesus. Why would such a thing happen? They had, well, the answer is they had no hope. They did not imagine a world where this could be different. They believed death was the end. They didn't have hope. So, I, I would suggest that laughing in itself is not bad, but laughing because uh, I, I, you have to laugh. There's no, there's no hope. You have to take the situation for what it is and laugh about it. We don't want to scoff at Jesus, scoff at the hope that he's offered. We want to weep in hope that things will change and things will get better. So summarising the first three pairs that we've seen, poor and riches, material poverty means we have a greater opportunity to experience reliance on God. Hunger is better than being full now because Jesus will take care of your belly. I've written that down. Jesus will take care of your belly. And weeping means hoping for a better future. So lastly, we turn to a really chunky bit, and I've put them next to each other so you can kind of see the two parallels, because I know it's been a while since we read it. And so just to read it again, uh, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. And in contrast, woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Now, I'm not a Greek expert. This Greek was the language that this was originally written in. But I, I read that the bit that says on account of the Son of Man is central and significant. People hate you because you're a really horrible person. You aren't blessed. When people hate you because of the way that you live for Jesus, then you're blessed. People won't like the way you live if you live a godly life for Jesus. They'll be challenged by it. Even if you don't say anything, I suggest, they'll be challenged by it. I was at work uh, a few weeks ago, and, and you know maybe it's my own fault because I bring up faith a lot. And, I, uh, and there was a little uh, lull in the day and so I was sitting with a few of my colleagues, and, uh, and I had about five questions fire at me, all at the same time. And then everyone got up and had to go. I couldn't even explain. I love to talk, and I had no opportunity to explain. What, you know, the answers to these questions I had, you know, isn't the Bible just a story? I'm like, of course it's a story. What, what's your point? <laughs> Not just a story. Important questions, they had important questions, and I wasn't able to answer it. And I left. Did I f leave rejoicing that I at least, you know, said something? No, I left anxious, actually. I left anxious about it. Um, but, so this is a lesson for me. You know, I, was, I wasn't even hated. I think, pe I think people like me aware. I'm not going to ask. Um, I think people like me aware. But, am I willing to be hated? on account of the Son of Man. The apostles, some of them anyway, in Acts 5, verse 41, talks about 
when the Sanhedrin had flogged them for telling people about Jesus, they left rejoicing. You know what flogging is? It's a really bad beating, to say the least. But they rejoiced. This is something I'm still, I really have to work through. Me and Katie, as a lot of you know, think about mission, and I've thought about different countries that maybe we would go to somewhere could get in a bit of trouble. I don't want to go to those places. I don't want to get flogged. I don't even want to get kicked out of the country. I just want to live there and tell people who want to hear it. But if that was the case, uh, this message of the gospel would not have spread. The early church, uh, for hundreds of years, the, the period of time, I think they called it the age of the martyrs, because the church was born out of people dying for what they believed in. And people often, when people were martyred publicly, the people on looking who had heard the message would convert because they saw someone just die for their faith. How far we've come as a culture. Obviously, our ultimate example is Jesus today. Jesus was poor, he was hungry, he wept, and he was persecuted. And it wasn't just Jesus, you know, that if it was just Jesus, maybe we'd have an excuse to think that, okay, this is just for Jesus, not for us. But Paul and the others, they lived the same way. It's always been that way. So our ultimate example is Jesus, and why should we be any better? Better. So, we've learned how to rely on the Father today. We've learned to rely on the Father. He is so good. This is a hard message. I understand this is a hard message, but he is so good. And half of our fear and half, well, probably lots of our fear and anxiety about this message comes from not believing the Father is good enough, that he loves us enough, that he sent his own son that we would have life and life abundantly. Do we trust the Father? Do we rely on the Father? And the second big thing is how do we serve the world? Do we serve the world by being really rich, by being really full and sharing out of our excess? Making sure everyone likes us so we can quickly, let's say grace, let's say grace. That's what I try to do with my family sometimes. Let's say grace. We need to know how to serve the world. He doesn't tell us to serve the world by being really rich and prosperous and being at the top of a hierarchy or something like that. He tells us by the best way to serve the world is to serve the world. Become a servant, become a slave. Like Paul starts his letters, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. We sh it, it should be expected that we might be despised because we want to put ourselves at the bottom so that we can serve. We don't want to put ourselves at the top and look down. We want to be at the bottom and look up. I'm going to end with another passage from Luke. Luke 12, verse 22 to 34. This isn't a one-time fix. This is something to pray through to speak to God, to wrestle with God. Wrestling with God is good. Let's wrestle with God about these things. Let's study it for ourselves. Don't take my word for it. And I'm going to read Luke 12, verse 22 to 34, because I feel like it brings home some of these things. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. 
of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a small, as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Father, we're, we're so thankful, Lord, that Lord, we have your attention. In fact, Lord, you are the one who's pursued us. And Father, we're thankful uh, that you would pursue us out of love and that, Lord, you would expose us out of love. That you would show us, Lord, how easy it is for us to worship the wrong things, to trust the wrong things. Thank you so much, Lord, that you love us enough to make it clear what it means to be blessed. That you as our creator and our redeemer have shown us this is what it means to be blessed. And so, Lord, we pray you'd help us to to be willing to be poor, to be those that are purposefully and sacrificially generous, to be those, Lord, who weep over the condition of our world, the condition of our own hearts, to be those who, Lord, are willing to, to embrace the lack now because, Lord, we know a future's coming, Lord, when all things will be as they should be. Father, help us to live our lives the way Jesus has laid out, Lord, just solely for you. Because your eyes are on us. And your presence is with us. And you've given us the power to do so. Thank you, Lord, for your grace, for your forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, for this time in your word. And I pray you bless us today in all that we do. Thank you so much for mothers. Bless them today, we pray. And we pray, Father, that uh, you would help us to come back together, even if it's only electronically this week, and to take time to seek you together, to seek first your kingdom, your righteousness, and let you add what you want to add. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks so much uh, for coming. God bless you.